Second Kings chapter number 11. Let me say what a blessing it is to be with you in the house of God this morning. One of His blessings upon me is I get to be here today. Amen. A lot of places I could have been. A lot of folks would love to be here and cannot be. I'm just thankful that I'm able to be in the house of God with you today. Second Kings chapter number 11. And I would like to begin uh, reading in verse number 1. We'll read the entirety of the chapter. We'll use all of it in preaching this morning. will not take us very long. Uh, but let's begin reading in verse number 1. 2 Kings chapter 11, verse number 1. The Word of God says, And when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons which were slain. And they hid him, even him and his nurse, in the bedchamber from Athaliah, so that he was not slain. And he was with her, hid in the house of the Lord, six years. And Athaliah did reign over the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guard and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. He commanded them, saying, This is the thing that ye shall do. A third part of you that enter in on the Sabbath shall even be keepers of the watch of the king's house. And a third part shall be at the gate of Shur, and a third part at the gate behind the guard. So shall ye keep the watch of the house, that it be not broken down. And two parts of all you that go forth on the Sabbath, even they shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord about the king. And ye shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand. And he that cometh within the ranges, let him be slain. Be ye with the king as he goeth out and as he cometh in. And the captains over the hundreds did according to all things that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And they took every man his men that were come were to come in on the Sabbath with them that should go out on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And to the captains over hundreds did the priest give King David spears and shields that were in the temple of the Lord. And the guard stood every man with his weapons in his hand round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple along by the altar in the temple. And he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony. And they made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands and said, God save the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the guard and of the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manor was, and the princes and the trumpeters by the king. All the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets. And Athaliah rent her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. But Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the host, and said unto them, Have her forth without the ranges, and him that followeth her kill with the sword. For the priest had said, Let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. And they laid hands on her, and she went by the way uh, by which the horses came into the king's house, and there was she slain. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, between the king also and the people. And all the people of the land went into the house of Baal and break it down. His altars and his images break they in pieces thoroughly and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And he took the rulers over hundreds and the captains and the guard and all the people of the land. And they brought down the king from the house of the Lord and came by the way of the gate uh, to, of the guard to the king's house. And he sat on the throne of the king's. And all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was in quiet, and they slew Athaliah with the sword beside the king's house. 
Seven years old was Jehoash when he began to reign. Let's pray together. Father, we love you this morning. What a blessing to be in your house. Pray that you'd take your word, that you, Lord, it's your sword. It's not my sword. It's your sword and that you'd wield it. That your Holy Spirit would uh, place it, do the cutting in our lives and, and the surgery in our lives that is so necessary that we, Lord, might have the things extracted from us uh, that do not look like Jesus Christ and that we might have the things instilled in us that would make us more like Him. And Lord, may we all be able, as we leave this place today, to know that we've heard from heaven, that we've done business with Your throne, Lord, that we've surrendered unto You, and that Your will has been done in our lives. Father, we love You, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice a verse of Scripture with me uh, this morning, very quickly. Uh, The Bible says in verse number 8, Ye shall compass the king round about, every man with his weapon in his hand. He that cometh within the ranges, let him be slain. Be ye with the king as he goeth out and as he cometh in. If I can this morning, I want to take a few moments and preach to you on this thought, guarding the king in your life. Uh, We have read the story, but to give you a short overview, it features a few important people. One is a woman by the name of Athaliah. Athaliah is the grandmother of Joash, who is the young man that is being hidden uh, from her predations and from her violence and from her evil. Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab and of Jezebel. She's a woman of a wicked family. She is the remnant of a doomed family. In fact, if you read a little further back in the text, in the previous chapter you find that Ahaziah, the father of Joash and the son of Athaliah, he was slain by Jehu before Jehu died. You remember when Jehu uh, was instrumental in the destruction of Jezebel that God had commissioned that Jehu would be used to destroy a number of generations of Ahab's family as the punishment of God. And so that's what Jehu had done. And Ahaziah had been slain as a product of that. But Athaliah, being the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, she survived. She's an evil woman. She's the remnant of a doomed family. And then we notice Ahaziah. He's the son of Athaliah. He's the grandson of Ahab. And he meets an untimely death because of his foolish decisions and because of the providence of God. He's slain by Jehu. Whenever Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, the grandmother of Joash, she's the daughter of Ahab, when she sees that Ahaziah has uh, died, has been slain by Jehu, uh, she takes it upon herself to slay all of Ahaziah's sons and then assumed the throne. For seven years she ruled in the stead of the rightful king. During this time, however, there was a righteous man by the name of Jehoiada. Jehoiada was the priest of God. and He was not a perfect man, we learn from some things later in his life, but he was a man whose heart had been given to God at this time. And he was married to a woman by the name of Jehoshaphat, who was the sister of Ahaziah. And this couple gathered together. They went and picked amongst the the carnage and, and, and the corpses of of the sons of Ahaziah, her nephews, and and the seed royal of Judah. And they found a little bitty baby boy, about a year old, and they picked him up and they rescued him from this carnage. He had somehow survived. And they take this little boy, knowing that he is the only hope of the kingdom, and they hide him away for a period of six years, along with his nurse in the bedchamber. Their intention is to see that the rightful heir sits upon the throne and to protect him from the violence of Athaliah. We find that a plan is unveiled in our text, and we'll spend a few minutes talking about it this morning, of how to guard the king from Athaliah. But you might be asking yourself, Preacher, that's good and everything, but what does that have to do with where I'm sitting today here in East Tennessee as a New Testament Christian? 
Well, I think if we look carefully at our text, we'll find that some of these people, I mean, they were real historical figures, and this is historically accurate, breathed by the Holy Ghost of God and inherently preserved. But I think it also reminds us of some characters in our life. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, for instance, when I look at Athalia, I don't just see a wicked old woman. I see Satan himself. I see that she is a picture of the devil and what he desires to do in our life. Now, you may say, preacher, why do you why do you feel that way? Well, Athalia reminds us of Satan because of three things. Number one, because of her name. If you're a student of the Word of God, you know that most of the time you see that word, that, that little uh, ending, that little uh, suffix A-H in someone's name, and usually their name means something to do with Jehovah, with God. Most of the time it's, it's something like Elijah, and it means, you know, that, you know, the, that the Lord is God, or it's like Ezekiel, and it means the strength of God, or something to that effect. But you know, Athalia's name, it means oppressed or restrained of the Lord. Now, could you imagine? Now, don't it make sense? She's the daughter of Ahab. She's the daughter of Jezebel. These are wicked people that hate God. And here's what they said when they named her, said that this little girl is going to be the enemy of Jehovah. Uh, she's going to be hated of Jehovah. She's going to be restrained by Jehovah. She's going to live her life in conflict with the God of Israel. You know, that reminds me of the devil. He's the enemy and opposition of God Himself. His desire, whatever God wants to do in your life, He wants to see the opposite done. Whatever God wants to do in human uh, experience, He wants to do the opposite. Whatever God wants to do in the history of mankind, the devil wants to do the opposite. So her name reminds me of Satan. Then number two, I think her crimes remind me of Satan. We learn three things basically about this woman. We learn that she is a murderer. Uh, the Bible says she arose and destroyed all the seed royal. She wasn't doing this because she was threatened. She wasn't doing this because she had been slighted. She wasn't doing this because her life was in danger. She did this because she hated her own grandson. She hated them. She was a murderer. Number two, I learned that she was a thief. The Bible says Athalia did reign over the land. That was not her throne. That was not her kingdom. But she took it by force and she stole it from the rightful heir. And then I learned that she's a liar. You say, preacher, where does she lie? Well, whenever she walks in on the scene of them crowding Joash, what does she say? She cries out and she says, treason, treason. That wasn't no treason. That was the rightful heir being appointed to the rightful throne. So I learned this, but Fred, I learned she was a murderer. I learned she was a thief. She stole the throne. I learned that she was a liar. She was a wicked woman. She was an evil woman. And that just sort of reminds me of the devil. You know, the Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So the devil is a thief. Not only is he a thief, but in John 8, 44, we learn he's a murderer and a liar. Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you're of your father, the devil, and the the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. I don't know that I've ever seen a woman in Scripture and you can talk about Delilah, you can talk about Jezebel, you can talk about any of them, but I don't know that I've ever seen a woman in Scripture that reminds me more of the devil by the way she lived and acted than Athalia did. Her name, she's that one which is oppressed or restrained, constrained by God. Her crimes remind me of the devil, but then I'd say her aim reminds me of the devil. Why'd she do all this? One simple reason, and we've already mentioned it, the Bible says Athalia did reign in the land. Why would she do such a thing? It's not because she would have been cast upon poverty. 
uh, had her grandson assume the throne, she would have been held in, in queenly, stately care and, and esteem. It, it's not because she was afraid, she feared for her life, that her grandson would kill her as a threat, because typically a, 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 an elderly queen, the sort of the queen mother, maybe would be what we would call them, wouldn't be considered, or I guess she'd be the queen grandmother, wouldn't be considered a threat. There was one reason she killed all those boys, because she wanted the throne for herself. Man, that reminds me of the devil. Listen to what the book of Isaiah says about Satan and how he became Satan. Uh, prophetically speaking, Isaiah says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, this is what the devil said, this is what Lucifer, before he was Satan, before he was the devil, when he was the anointed cherub of God, this is what he said. He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the house of the heights of the clouds. He said, I will be like the Most High. You know what the devil wants? The devil wants God's throne. It's what he's always wanted. So Athalia, you know, she sort of reminds me of the devil. But then I read about this young man, Joash, and I think to myself now, who does Joash represent? What does he represent? We could probably make a lot of applications, but there were three things that stuck out in my mind, Brother Ken. I, I thought to myself, you know, Joash, this young man, he represents, for the nation of Israel, he represents the will of God. The will of God. You know, his name means given by the Lord. That's what it means. Given by the Lord. What the Lord has chosen. What the Lord has done. And certainly that was Joash. Joash was the rightful heir to the throne. He was God's choice for Israel's king. We could say this, and it's not an overstatement. He was the will of God for the nation. Can I tell you something this morning? If the devil has his way, he'd love to rob you of the will of God in your life. He loved to destroy the will of God. Whatever God wants you to do, He wants you to do the opposite. All the things that God has for you and all the blessings that God has, yea, and even all the burdens that God will make blessings, all the things that God has for you, the devil would love to take every single one of them away from you. He reminds me of the will of God. Not only that, he reminds me of the work of God. Now, Joash was not a perfect man, just like Jehoiada, just like nobody except Jesus in the Bible. No one's a perfect man. Uh, Joash was not a perfect man, but he was an important man in the history of Israel. Joash would go on to repair the temple. He would go on to restore worship in the land. In fact, we could say this, that he was instrumental to the work of God in the nation. He did the work of God. And can I say this? Listen, he reminds me of the will of God, but he reminds me of the work of God. Not just what God wants for you, but what God's doing in your life. You know, the devil wants to disrupt what God's doing in your life. I trust that you're here this morning and you're uh, walking with God, journeying with God, and growing in grace. And I trust that there are things God is doing in your life. Ways that He is developing you. Ways that He is growing you. I trust you're closer to God now than you were this time last year. I trust that there are battles in your life that God is winning victories in and making you more Christ-like. And God's doing a work not just around us, but He's doing a work in us. And the devil wants to stop every bit of that. If he can, he'd love to get you mad at the house of God, mad at the things of God, mad at the Holy Spirit of God, mad at the Word of God. He'd love for you to just walk away from what he wants to do in your life. He reminds me of the work of God. Brother Charlie, not just the work of God. When I, when I read about Joash, he's the will of God for the nation. He's the work of God in the nation. But you know who he reminds me of? Now, maybe you won't see this. I, this is a whole separate sermon. But when I read it, I, I see the will of God. I see the work of, uh, work of God. But I see the wounded of God. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, Joash, if you look right, if you squint a little bit, he starts to look like Jesus. They say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, first off, his name, it means given 
by the Lord. And I would say this, that's who Jesus was. He's the gift of God to everyone that believes. He's the gift of God to a lost and dying world. But not only that, when I look at his history, I see that Joash, he was hated and rejected by his kin. It was not a foreign enemy that sought to slay him. It was his own familiar friend. It was his flesh and blood. It was his own mammal that tried to kill him. Amen. That's a good East Tennessee word. It was his own mammal that tried to kill him. He was hated and rejected by his kin. I I would say this, uh, that's a lot like Jesus. He came under his own, but his own received him not. Not only that, I see that his brethren were slain by his kin. His brethren, those that he loved, those that loved him, were slain by his own kin. That sort of reminds me of Jesus. You know, in the New Testament, Christ told a parable about a a man that sends workers into a field. And whenever he sends them into the field to collect, that the workers of the field, they turn and slay those workers. And finally, he sends his own son saying, they'll give respect to my own son, but they slay him too. And you know, when the Lord Jesus explained that, he told us that those first people were the prophets. Uh, he looked at the Pharisees said, all of the prophets, listen, uh, from uh, Zechariah down, you have slain, you have hated, you have despised. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus' brethren, in a spiritual sense, the prophets, they were slain by the nation of Israel. Not only that, I'd say about Joash, that he was the target of a plot to kill him. In fact, the whole text this morning is about how he was the, the target of this plot to destroy him and to slay him. You know, that reminds me of Jesus too. He was the target of a plot to kill him. But listen, I like this. You know what else I see? I see that Joash survived that plot. Amen? I see that the plot didn't work. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't kill him. God protected him and he survived. Can I give you even better news this morning? Hey, listen, Jesus was the target of a plot to kill him. And you know what? They did kill him. Uh, but even though they killed him, death couldn't hold him. They couldn't keep him dead. He survived the plot to kill him. Then I notice this when I read about Joash's life, I see that he was hidden from his kin for a time. Uh, for uh, six years, he's taken both Charlie and he's hidden away. And his family, except for just a select few that were faithful to God and knew God and loved God, but the rest of them, they didn't know where he was at. They presumed him dead. They thought he was lost to history. You know, that's how things are right now with the Jewish nation. There is a, there is a, a judicial blindness over the nation right now. And they, as a whole, they reject him. You say, preacher, can a Jew get saved? Sure enough, a Jew can get saved. Hey, listen, if I thought a Jew couldn't get saved, what hope would I as a Gentile have of getting saved? And there are some that have believed on the Lord and their eyes are open and they know where the king is. But for the majority of the nation, he's hidden from them. It's what Peter, Peter said in, John, in Acts chapter number 3. He said that, uh, that for this time, heaven must receive him until the time of the restitution of all things. He's hidden from his kin. But listen, I see this, man, I like this. He was at the right time, listen carefully, at the right time, he was revealed and he was crowned the king of Israel. Man, that reminds me of Jesus because that's that's what's going to happen. He's going to rapture the, the church out and then seven years later He's going to be crowned. He's going to be revealed to all mankind. Every eye will look upon Him. Those that uh, those that, that, that have pierced Him will look upon Him, will behold Him and He'll be crowned King of Israel. So when I see Joash, he, he reminds me, he reminds me of what God wants for us and He reminds me of what God's doing in our life. Then He just, He reminds me of Jesus and it makes me think about this this morning. Uh, what are we doing to guard those things in our life? Can I tell you something? The devil would love for you to get out of the will of God. He'd love for you to walk away from the will of God. Go out and do your own thing, live your own way. Uh, Listen, he'd love to destroy the work of God in our life. What God's trying to do in your life, we're raising kids, we're raising families, and even if you're beyond that in your life, uh, the Lord's still raising you, amen? And he's trying, he's working on us. 
the, the devil, he'd love for us to walk away. But you know, listen, the problem with the church at Ephesus, they had a lot of good things. And God said that. He said, man, there's a lot of good things about you. He said, but there's one thing that bothers me. You've left your first love. You know what the Lord would love to do or what the devil would love to do? He'd love to kick Jesus off the throne of our hearts and to take control. He'd love for us to just... And I know we can... Listen, He can never lose us. We can never lose our salvation. I believe that this morning. My Bible teaches that this morning. But I do believe that we can lose the fellowship and communion we enjoy with Him. I believe our relationship with Him can suffer and stagnate. And that's what the devil would love to do. So what can you and I do in our lives to guard the King in our hearts? I noticed a few things this morning. I'm just going to mention I'm not even going to preach them. I've already preached. I'm just going to mention them this morning. The first thing I notice is we need to guard Him with faith. This passage opens with a mighty spiritual endeavor. Now, you and I may read it, and we read it with the benefit of, of hindsight, which is 2020. We know how things work out. But imagine being Jehoiada the priest and his wife Jehoshaphat. Imagine being them and finding this little baby and knowing that in your hands you hold the future of the kingdom. And it would be so easy to just turn him over to Athaliah. The rest of the sons are dead and the, the kingdom will go on and it'll survive. But no, they look at him and they know that, listen, he's not just the son of Ahaziah. He's the son of David. He's the plan of God. He's the lineage of the Messiah. They can't abandon Him. They can't forsake Him. And so they do a great thing. They exert a great act of faith and they conceal this little baby boy. You know, think about the danger of their plan. They were in Athaliah's mind who is ruling over the kingdom. She's not afraid to kill anybody. She just killed a bunch of somebody. She's not afraid to destroy them and slay them. She has no respect for God. She doesn't care that Jehoiada is a priest. If she found out that they did this, surely she would slay them. Surely she would slay them. It took great faith to protect that little baby. Can I tell you this this morning? It's going to take faith if we're going to see God do a great work in our life. It takes faith. We somehow, we, we know that in our mind. Sometimes we forget it in our hearts. And when we're put in a position where we have to exercise faith, we're, we're surprised or we get angry at God or we wonder why it's so tough and so difficult. But you understand, if you're not operating by faith, you are not growing. Anything in life that you do that doesn't require faith doesn't produce growth in your life. We have to have faith if we're going to grow. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without faith it's impossible to please you. It's impossible. Not it's improbable. Not it's unlikely. Not it rarely happens. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. The things we do in our life, and I'm not saying God hates the things in our life that don't require faith, but I'm saying He's not necessarily pleased with them. They don't glorify Him. They don't magnify Him. It takes faith if we are going to see the will of God uh, perpetuate and performed in our life. It takes faith if we're going to see the work of God brought to fruition in our lives. And listen, it takes faith if we're going to live for Jesus. It takes faith. I think about the great faith, man. I mean, uh, they, they really had to trust God with this. They were taking their lives in their own hands and they were selling cheaply their futures if God didn't protect them. But then think about the demands of their plan. Verse number 3, the Bible says this, He was with her hid in the house of the Lord six years and Athaliah did reign over the land. And I thought, you know, it's one thing to have faith in a moment. We could all, I, I, you know, I've heard people talk about people being martyred. And I want to be very careful with what I'm, out, uh, what I'm about to say. I mean, listen, it's, it's a thing of great reverence when a person is martyred for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord feels that way. And the Scripture teaches that. But you know, I've often thought to myself, you know, I believe if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you know, just curse the Lord Jesus, deny Him, uh, tell everybody you don't believe in Him, or I'm going to kill you, I think I could probably stand up in that. I think I could probably stand for Don't shake your head like you know me better. Than, uh, what's the matter with you? 
Y'all sitting there saying, I know you preacher, you'd fold. No, I, I don't think I would. I mean, I, I think I could stand up. But you know, it's one thing to die for him. But you know what I found is a lot harder is living for him. And for this simple reason that, that to choose to die for him is a decision that you make and it may be met with pain and discomfort and agony for a, for a time. But listen, to live for him requires us to die daily. I thought, you know, if it just been for a moment, if they had said, we're going to take this baby and we're going to, we're going to send this baby into exile into a friendly kingdom and they'll raise him, he'll be away and he'll be safe and we'll never see him again, but we've spared his life. That'd be a great thing, but it's a lot greater thing when you think about what they tried to do here, what they did do. For six years, they had to live. And I thought about what that required. Listen, for six years, they had to keep that baby quiet. You've been around my house. Listen, half the neighborhood knows when my kids are home. Could you imagine? happened for six years to keep this baby quiet. Not only that, for six years they had to keep those that knew about it quiet. <laughs> and listen, and you know they're surrounded by the people of God. If there's anything the people of God like to do, it's gossip. Amen? How'd they keep everyone quiet for six years? Not only that, they had to provide food. Now this this baby has a nurse when he is young and presumably he's nursing and that, that nurse probably would have been a wet nurse been able to do that. But sooner or later, that, that baby boy is going to want some meat and some potatoes. And they had to somehow sneak it in. They had to provide clothes for him. They had to provide medicine for the child. Not only that, they had to raise this child. This child grew up never leaving the bedchamber. Never. You know why everybody's so crazy? You know why the world's burning down today? Can I just be honest with you? Uh, this is a real spiritual answer. You know why? You know why you've still got your sanity? But those of us that are like 30 and under don't. Because when you've grown up and you got tired of your kids, you'd send them out into the wide world to play. And you didn't care. It didn't matter. You'd say, leave the house. Come back when the street lights come on. You can't do that today. You know why we're all nuts? Because we're all sitting on top of our kids 24 hours a day. They're driving us crazy. Somebody say amen to that. We're over it, man. We're losing it. Could you imagine, man? Could you imagine spending six years, not only us, but for the child itself, six years never leaving this bedchamber? Then I thought about this. Imagine the terror of living under Athalia's threats and violence and oppression for six years. Six years knowing that you were just one cry away from your life ending. Just one mistake. One one leaving the door unlocked and that little child slipping out as they're so prone to do. And your life would be done. I think about the danger of their faith, but I think about the demands of it. Can I tell you this this morning? Listen, if you're going to see the will of God done in your life, it ain't just you make a decision once and that's it. If you're going to see God work in your life, it ain't just you make a decision once and that's it. Listen, if you're going to love Jesus and serve Jesus in your life, it's not just a a, a one-time decision. I'm glad when I got saved, that was a one-time decision. I received Him and He saved me. But listen, if I'm going to see Him glorified in my life, I'm going to have to die daily. Every day they woke up and thought, this might be the day that I die. For six years, every day they woke up, this might be the day that I die. You say, preacher, how do they do that? You know, I think that's the key to it. You say, preacher, how do we live for God like they live for God? I think we have to wake up every day and say two things. One, this might be the day that I die. This might be my last opportunity to do something for the Lord. This might be my last opportunity to live for Him. So you know what I'm going to do? This is the second thing. I'm just going to go ahead and die anyway. I'm going to die to self. I'm going to die to my desires. I'm going to die to my ambitions. And I'm going to let God rule and reign my life. I think about the faith that they had. So we have to guard Him with faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. But then number two, I thought about this. They had to guard Him with focus. Now when you fast forward in the text to verse number four, six years have passed. And the Bible says this, the seventh year, Jehoiada, he's the priest, he sent and fetched the rulers over hundreds with the captains and the guards. 
and brought them to him into the house of the Lord and made a covenant with them and took an oath of them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. You know, Brother Ken, I thought, why did he do that? He didn't have to. He could have figured some other way out. But he, he brought all these men in and he said, before I tell you anything, I want an oath that you're going to serve the Lord, that you're going to do as I ask you, that you're going to do what's best for the kingdom. Why did he do that? Because he's getting ready to show them the king's son. He knew that he had to have a commitment from them or his life would be done. And you know what he needed? And then I thought about this. Why did he show them the king's son? Here's why. They need to understand the seriousness of the moment. They needed to have focus. They need to understand how important this was. And I, I thought to myself this. Listen, if we're going to guard the king in our heart, it requires soberness. We, we need to learn just what's at stake. I promise you this, them soldiers may have been standing around uh, talking and chatting, drinking coffee, popping bubble gum, but the moment that that little boy walked in, they all stood at attention. They all quieted. You know why? They understood what was going on here. They understood they had been inducted into a plot to remove the queen. They understood that now, whether they liked it or not, this was life or death for them. You know, listen, if you're going to guard the king, I'm talking about the will of God, the work of God, the wounded of if you're, if you're going to live for the Lord, you need to understand how important it is. You've got to understand what's at stake. You've got to understand this is, liter- this is life or death for us. And it may not be whether our heart beats or our lung breathes or our mind thinks, but certainly it's in the life to come whether we have much to rejoice in and much to look back that we've lived for God and no regrets or whether we have to feel shame when we stand before Him. This is life. Or death. Listen, for our children that we're raising, the decision to guard the King in our home, in our life, to lift up Jesus high and holy, to magnify Him, to do the will of God, to teach our children the will of God, to see the work of God done. I'm talking about it's serious this morning. He wanted them to understand it, it requires soberness. It requires seriousness. And then He says this, and, and I'm not going to read all of it, but, but look what it says in verse number 5. He commanded them saying, this is the thing that you shall do. A third part of you that enter in on the Sabbath shall be even the keepers of the watch of the king's house, and the third part shall be at the gate of Shur, and the third part at the gate behind the guard. So shall ye keep the watch of the house that it be not broken down. He goes down to verse number 8. He says, Ye shall compass the king round about every man with his weapons in his hand. He that cometh within the ranges, let him be slain. Be ye with the king as he goeth out and as he cometh in. Now did they do what he said? Verse 11 says, The guard stood. Man, I like that. The guard stood. Every man with his weapons in his hand round about the king from the right corner of the temple to the left corner of the temple along by the altar in the temple. You know what I thought about? It requires soberness. We need to understand what's at stake. But number two, it requires steadfastness. Here's what he told these men. He said, everybody has a place and you stay in your place. Be where you're supposed to be. He says, we're going to make a wall around this little boy and we're going to protect him and we're going to stand there with weapons in our hands. And if one man breaks ranks, that could mean the life of the king. So boys, you better stay where I put you and don't move. Listen, in our life, it takes steadfastness. It takes some stick to it. And it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. When Paul writes to the Corinthian church, he says, quit you like men. You know what that means? It, it means my, my little nephew one day, I got two, two, they're not little anymore, they're teenagers, I got two nephews and, and they're close in age. And one time, one, I don't know if he hit the other one or something, they got into it. You know, boys close enough in age, it's a wonder they survive. Amen. They're like Jacob and Esau, they're wrestling before they ever get out of the womb. But one of them hit the other one and, 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 and he, and the one that, that hit him, that looked at him and said, suck it up, buttercup. That's the East Tennessee hillbilly translation. 
of that passage. Quit you like men. You know what it means? It means suck it up, buttercup. It's too important. It's too important. Listen, we got to get some courage about us in these days. We're not living in easy days. We've got to get some courage about us. And in our life, Satan's going to try to do everything he can to destroy you. So what do I do, preacher? Hold the line. Stand in the guard. The Bible says the guard stood. I hope we're taking a stand. And then I thought about this. We guard him not only with focus, but we guard him with fealty, with loyalty. Look what it says in verse number 12. The Bible says he brought forth the king's son and put the crown upon him and gave him the testimony. Now, if we were to pause there, this whole thing could still fall apart. Jehoiada has placed the crown on his head. He's given him the testimony, presumably meaning that he, that he gave him a copy of the Word of God and asked him to commit to an oath to, to be God's king and to do what God wanted him to. Then the Bible says this, and they. Who's the they? They is the people. They made him king and anointed him. And they clapped their hands. And this is what they said. They said, God saved the king. This was instrumental to seeing the king put on the throne. Now, there had to be a coronation of the king. You know, in your life and mine, you know what's missing? You know why we, 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 uh, you know, sort of just, just waver back and forth so much? We've not crowned him king yet. He is the king. He don't need us to crown him king, but we need to crown him king. We've not yet made up our mind who's king of this thing. We're still trying to let the devil rule. We're still trying to let our flesh rule. We're still trying to let our desires and our ambitions and our plans rule. You say, preacher, how can I live for God? How can I see the will of God done in my life? How can I see the work of God done? Can I answer this honestly? Listen, I I look at where I'm at and what God's done in my life, and i got to say, you know, I hear people talking about, you know, surrendering this and surrendering that, and there's truth to that, and certainly there came a time in my life where I knew God had called me to, to do what I'm doing today, but you know, it didn't start that way. You know how it started? I surrendered to Christ. I've seen a lot of guys tank out in ministry because they surrendered to ministry instead of surrendering to the Master. Now, there comes a time in your life when you do recognize God saying, this is what I want for you. But I, but it don't start that way. Can I tell you how it was for me? Listen, I was a 19-year-old kid, dumb as a box of rocks, had no clue what I was doing. And my youth pastor or my associate pastor came to me and said, somebody needs to teach a teenage Sunday school class. Would you do it? I said, yeah, I'll do it. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll do it if you want me to. And so I started teaching this 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 Sunday school class, and and within a few weeks it became apparent I wasn't just teaching, man. I was preaching, and God started to do something in my heart and in my soul. But it wasn't because I said I'm going to be a preacher, or I'm going to be a minister, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to be a missionary, or I'm going to be a you know an evangelist or whatever it is. It's because the Lord said, "Would you do this?" And I said, "Yes, sir, I will." Here I am. Send me, Lord. I'll do what you want, whatever you want. I crowned him king. God can do something. When we crown him king. I'm saying this, we see the coronation of the king. But then look down verse number 17. Man, this is, this is amazing. The Bible says in verse 17, and Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people that they should be the Lord's people. Between the king also and the people. So I see the coronation of the king, but I see the consecration of the congregation. In other words, it wasn't just that they said, Jesus or, or, you know, Jehovah is going to be our king. They also said, and we're going to be his servants. We're going to be the Lord's. We belong to Him. You say, preacher, how can I, how can I make sure God has a victory in my life? How can I make sure Jesus sits on the throne of my heart? Well, first you have to recognize that He is the King. Then number two, you have to recognize that you are His child. You belong to Him. Now, if you're lost here today, you're not His child, but you can be before you leave here today. You can believe on Him and be saved, but I'm, I, I'm saying to the, to the people of God, to the children of God, to those that are saved and born again, I'm saying you've got to recognize that you're not your own. You're bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit. 
Well, I'd say this, man, we have to, we have to get it in our head who the king is. As long as we still got questions about who's in charge of this thing, you better believe that the devil will get the victory. You know, Athalia was able to reign. You know why? Because it was confusion. She, you know why she killed all the, all the sons of the king? So that nobody knew who should be king. If you can get things in a situation where nobody knows who should be king, then it ain't long before somebody will step into the power vacuum. We see it in nations. We see it in churches. We see it all over the place. You know the devil will do that in your life as well. If he can get you confused about who's really in charge in your life, then he'll take control. He'll make you think you're controlling, but no man can serve two masters. You serve God or you serve mammon. One of the two. Nobody runs his own life. The question is not whether you're running yourself. That's not the question. You're not running yourself. The question is who's running you. Who is your master? So we, we, we guard him with fealty, but then I'd say this, we guard him with piety. Now listen, that, that, normally it gets a big amen in a Baptist church, but let me clarify who I'm talking about fighting. I'm not talking about fighting your, your fellow Christian. I'm not, I'm not talking about fighting in a political sense or in a, in a physical sense. What I'm talking about is spiritual warfare. In other words, we have to recognize there's a hostile force and opponent that wants to destroy us. And we have to actively combat his will and desires in our life. You say, who is that? Well, who was it in the text? In the text, it was a failure. They recognized who the enemy was and said, we got to do whatever we can to defeat her. And they did defeat her. I can imagine, man, I swear I get tickled at the Word of God sometimes. Can you imagine? The Bible says in verse 13, when Athaliah heard the noise of the garden of the people, she came to the people into the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, behold, the king stood by a pillar as the manor was and the princes and the trumpeters by the king. All the people of the land rejoiced and blew with trumpets and Athaliah ran her clothes and cried, treason, treason. She knew she was beat. She, she knew she was beat. You know why she knew that? Because they had already crowned him king. Uh, there, there wasn't no question, wasn't no confusion anymore about who would be the, the heir. You know, the problem was this. Uh, she started killing, but she didn't kill enough of them. You know why? Because there's one she couldn't kill. I said there's one she couldn't kill. She'd kill all of his brothers, but there was one brother, Ken, that she couldn't kill. And he's the one. Come back as it were from the dead. When she last saw this little baby, he was laying in a pile of corpses. Thought, he's for sure, Fred, he's dead. He's dead. He's done. Now he's come back like a ghost from the past, like a resurrected Savior walking straight in and up to the throne to have the crown placed on his head. Hey, like he had come back from the dead. Can I tell you something? <laughs> There's one that has come back from the dead. Preacher, how do we defeat the devil? Put Jesus on the throne. And he'll run off the devil. I love it, man. <laughs> but then, you know, there's something else I find in here. It, 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 you know this. You know the book of Chronicles records the, the record of the, uh, of the kings of Judah and the books of Kings record the record of the, uh, of the kings of Israel. That's why it's unusual we have this story in such detail. But listen to what it says in, in the way that Chronicles tells this story. It says in 2 Chronicles 23.12, Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people into the house of the Lord. What was it that caught this wicked old woman's attention? I do not know how old that she was, but, but she's going about her day. And all of a sudden, she hears a ruckus. She hears people running. That makes people nervous sometimes. She hears people running. And she hears people praising the King. And that's what started running that woman off. You say, preacher, what can I do right now in my life? I'm going through a hard time. Just go ahead and start praising the King. If it don't do nothing, it'll make the devil mad. And that's worth at least three points. 
Just go ahead and start praising the king. Rejoicing in him. That got her attention. I see the fear of, of a failure. Man, she's afraid. You know why? Because there was a living, risen king that had a legitimate claim to the throne that could kick her out. And guess what? The people knew it because they was a shouting and rejoicing and saying, God saved the king. And when she saw that these people knew who the king was, owned who the king was, crowned the king, loved the king, she said, it's done for me. The devil can only have a door in your life if you're confused about who the king is. But once he's on the throne with the crown on his head, he's got no, the devil has no power anymore. And then I see the flight of Athaliah. The Bible says in verse number 15, Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the hosts, and said unto them, Have her forth without the ranges. Now what does that mean? Well, the ranges is talking about the range that a bowman could shoot an arrow. And that's why they said before, said if anybody comes in the ranges after the king, slay him. Why didn't he say when they're without the ranges? Because they couldn't reach them. They're without a range. And so here he's saying, Chase her without the ranges. Get her outside. And here's the reason he said that. He said, let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. But the Bible says this, uh, to take her forth without the ranges and that him that followeth her kill with the sword. The Bible says in verse 16, they laid hands on her and she went by the way by the which the horses came into the king's house and there was she slain. Can I say two things about this very quick? One, notice the relentless pursuit. It wasn't enough to just say, well, we got her licked, just let her go now. They understood if they did that, Brother Charlie, she'd come back. You know, part of our problem, we get the devil on the run and then we relax. We sit back and say, whoo, God got the victory. We're okay. But you know, even when he tempted the Son of God, he only departed for a season. You mark her down, he will come back. You better stay vigilant or else he'll try to come back and kill the king. Guard, rob the king from you. But then, man, I, I love this. The Bible says this, let her not be slain in the house of the Lord. Can I just tell you something as a preacher that loves that loves church, loves preaching, that loves services, that loves sermons, the real victory is not won in the house of the Lord. That's all right. You'll get with me here in a second. Either that or we won't get out of here till 4 o'clock. I got you hostage now. So what do you mean, preacher? I'm saying this. The real victory ain't just when you come down and kneel down on the It starts there, but it don't stay there. Listen, the devil ain't slain in the house of the Lord. God doesn't work here. But you say, preacher, what are we doing here? We're worshiping the king. We're crowning the king. We're praising the king. But guess what? The devil's going to flee without the ranges. And if he can get you out there where he thinks he's got you alone, that's where he'll kill you. You know what that tells me? The real fighting ain't done in the house of the Lord. It's done when we leave this place. It's done as we walk with God day by day. So listen, we got to guard him with fighting. And then finally, I notice this and I'm done. we got to guard him with fellowship. Now look what the Bible says in verse 18. The Bible says, And all the people of the land went into the house of Baal and break it down. His altars and his images break they in pieces thoroughly and slew Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. The, the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, gives us a little more detail about that appointing officers. It says also Jehoiada, verse 18, appointed the offices of the house of the Lord by the hand of the priests, the Levites, whom David had distributed in the house of the Lord to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord as it is written in the law of Moses with rejoicing and with singing as it was ordained by David. You say, what are they doing there, preacher? They're reinstituting worship. They knew that this whole thing began because of the worshipers of Baal in their midst. It had divided the allegiance of the kingdom of Israel so that you had Athaliah, who is the, the mother of the king of the kingdom of Judah, but she's the daughter of the former king of Israel where they worship Baal. And it had divided the kingdom. A house divided cannot stand. 
And they understood if they were ever going to have peace, if they were ever going to have uh, harmony, if they were ever, listen, if they were ever going to see the king uh, live on the throne and reign on the throne and God's glory be restored in the nation, they understood they had to do something about that Baal worship. They had to get rid of the rotten worship and get in the right worship if they were going to do something about it. So what did they do? Well, I noticed three things here. Number one, they removed that which prevented fellowship. They said, if we're going to walk with God, we can't try to walk with Baal. How can two walk together except to be agreed? We've got to get rid of that Baal worship. You say, preacher, if I want God to have victory in my life, what can I do? I'll tell you a good thing. Number one, there's probably things in your life that are preventing fellowship with the Lord. Go and tear down the altars. Slay the priests. Get rid of the things in your heart, in your life, that would vaunt themselves and exalt themselves against the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think you can live in sin and God be magnified in your life. You're going to have to make a choice. Hey, choose you this day whom you'll serve. There was a time that an old uh, grizzled, uh, grisly, and by the way, bearded prophet of God was standing on Mount Carmel with a bunch of Baal worshippers and he looked at the kingdom of Israel and he said, choose you this day. We've got to choose who we're going to serve. We've got to get rid of, of those things which would, would prevent. We've got to remove that which would prevent fellowship. Number two, we've got to restore that which permits fellowship. I read the passage in Chronicles because it illuminates a little more. When it says he appointed officers, it don't just mean he, he got somebody to clean up the temple. It doesn't mean he just voted in a janitor. What it means is that he literally restored uh, the priestly offices in the place. Now, why did he do that? Because he said, if we're going to worship God, we've got to do it the right way. We've got to do it the right way. There are certain things that's going to help us worship God. There are certain things that's going to help us serve God. And if we have a, a hope of success, if we have a hope, of achieving this, we've got to have the things in our life that help us have fellowship with God. Say, preacher, how can God have victory? How can I guard the king? You've got to get rid of that which prevents fellowship. You've got to remove it, but you've got to restore that which permits. You've got to be in your Bible. You've got to be in the prayer clause. You've got to be in the house of God. Hey, listen, I know I said the devil ain't killed in here, but listen, the work begins, the king is crowned in here. The work begins in here. And I am saying this to you, we've got to have the right things in our life if we expect God to have fellowship with us. And then I notice this. This is interesting. This is in Second Chronicles two. It says in twenty uh, chapter twenty three and verse nineteen. This is the next thing he did. Ch- verse eighteen, Second Chronicles twenty three. It says he appointed all these officers. And then in Second Chronicles twenty three nineteen, I love this. It says this. And he set the porters at the gates of the house of the Lord. Now, what were the porters? They were the doormen. They were the bouncers. That's what they, y'all y'all don't know what doormen are. <laughs> y'all ain't got enough money to know what doormen are. But you know. Y'all, y'all all, I, the, our, y'all was all down at the Cottonwood Joe's last night, so you know what a bouncer is. There's the bouncers for the temple. And the Bible says this is why they put them there, that none which was unclean in anything should enter in. The preacher, how, how can I guard the king in my life? Well, you gotta remove that which prevents fellowship. You gotta get rid of those things that are disrupting your fellowship with you. You gotta restore that which permits fellowship. Don't think you're gonna fellowship with God if you're not in His Word and in His house and in the prayer closet and living for Him. I mean, you know where to find Him. Go to where He's at. Amen. You know where to find Him. But you've also gotta refuse that which pollutes fellowship. They said we're gonna get a couple of big old, uh, strapping Levites to stand here at the doors of the house of God because sooner or later that bell worship's gonna to try to sneak back in. And we need to make sure that nothing endangers the king or the place of worship in our life. We need to make sure that we secure it. Listen, we got to start being vigilant. We we can't start letting the world we can't we can't keep letting the world set the standard of morality and righteousness in our life and then being flabbergasted when our nation just spirals into decline. 
we've got to start going back to God's Word and saying, Lord, what do you believe is right? I don't care if it's legal. I don't care if it's culturally accepted. I don't care if it's applauded and lauded as being noble or whatever. God, what do you say about this matter? And we've got to start saying those things that would disrupt my fellowship, those things that threaten my walk with God. We've got to refuse those. Some of us, we need to put some bouncers in our life. I'm talking about we need we need to put some bouncers at the door of our heart. We need to put some porters at the door. We need to put some guards in our life. We need to start having an attitude. But I'm not going to let anything threaten my walk with God. I'm going to keep Him where He needs to be. So here's what I wonder this morning. I know, listen, the devil wants to rob the will of God, the work of God, the wounded, the Savior of God from your heart and from your life. But I wonder what you're doing to guard Him this morning. I, I'm not going to re-preach my message. I trust the Holy Spirit has. But I wonder this this morning. Is there anybody that might be willing to acknowledge. Honest, I'm not asking for a raised hand. We're not an invitation. But I want you to acknowledge in your heart that maybe there's some areas where you've let down your God. Some things where you've not let the Lord have the glory and the preeminence in your life. And I wonder if this morning you'd be willing to crown Him King again in your heart, in your life, and to give your life to Him afresh and anew. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, musician comes to the piano. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. Pray that He glorify Your Son. I ask it in Jesus' name.